Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, the ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. This is episode 6 of the podcast, and we will continue with life's meaning and purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John, taught by the rector of St. Bartholomew's, Father Arthur Ward. In this episode, Father Ward begins to unpack chapter 2, focusing on verses 1 through 12. If you're just starting to listen to this podcast, we invite you to check out previous episodes to get caught up to speed with the study. We want to thank you for listening, and we pray you are blessed by what you're about to hear as we turn it over now to Father Ward. Okay, now let's go to John chapter 2. Open up your Bibles. John chapter 2. We're just going to do the first 12 verses. Very significant, great miracle. John chapter 2. We read in uh, chapter 2, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now the third day, that is probably the third day after first being with Nathaniel. So John is just kind of given the timing here. Now there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So most likely this wedding was of a family member or a close friend of Jesus and his family. And when there was a wedding, it was a big deal, especially in a small village, in a small community. Everybody would be invited. And the groom's family would be responsible for providing the wine and the refreshments. And if they did not have enough, it was considered a disgrace. So much so that if it really went badly, there would be a cloud hanging over the bride and the groom for the rest of their lives as long as they stayed in the village. Not good. So you wanted to make sure you had enough for everyone. But now we're told there's a problem. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. It's a big deal. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now there are going to be some people who say, oh, that sounds really harsh. Now remember what I said about God only includes the words and the way the words are for a purpose. Now, first of all, woman isn't woman in the sense that we would think in our English language. The word that is used for woman is actually a polite form of address, like my dear or madam. Uh, it was polite, but yet there's a little distance. So he says, woman, what does, this, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. That phrase, my hour has not yet come. We're going to see that my hour has come, my time has come later on, and that's always in reference to Jesus' main purpose for being on earth, and that is to die on the cross. So what Jesus is saying is that that's not really my main focus to provide wine for people. It also was Jesus kind of setting Himself apart from now He's no longer Mary's Son, first and foremost. But He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's got a bigger responsibility now. Things are changing. Now, traditionally, the understanding is that Jesus did not perform any supernatural miracles until this miracle at a wedding in Cana. In other words, Mary might have had a hunch there was something special about Jesus. 
Just as John the Baptist did not fully recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, even though they were first cousins and they grew up together. And it also is why the false gospels, the apocryphal books of the time after Jesus. Now you got the apocrypha that is included even in the Anglican Bible, not as doctrine, but for instruction and history. Uh, that it refers to the books that were written from the end of the prophets and end of the Malachi for, uh, until the first century. The intertestamental was called the intertestamental period. And those are apocryphal books that were never considered by the Jews as inspired. But Roman Catholics and Orthodox and Anglicans include them for historical purposes. The Roman Catholics, though, do include them for doctrinal things, but, you know, that, that goes without saying. They had a lot of stuff. From my opinion, they shouldn't. But anyway. But then there were these lost Gospels. You'll see from time to time documentaries will say, oh, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Thomas, you know, the Jude and Judas, I mean, the Gospel according to Judas. Well, these were all debunked by the early church because they had sensational, ridiculous-sounding stories they did not speak with authority, and oftentimes they would have sensational stories of miracles that Jesus did when he was a boy. And I'm sure you've heard these before, like when he was working with his father Joseph, and his father cut the wood too short, Jesus the boy laid his hands on the piece of wood, and the wood got longer. When uh, some kids were harassing him or whatever, I forgot what he did, but and then where he took clay, little toy clay pigeons, and then he he prayed over them, they became real birds. You know, it's stuff like that that you can tell isn't the word of God. I always tell people, how how were the ancients able to tell what was inspired and what wasn't? Well, the same way you would be able to tell what's the difference between the National Enquirer and reading the Wall Street Journal. If I gave you the Wall Street Journal without the title Wall Street Journal, and I gave you the National Enquirer without the title of the National Enquirer, I bet you could discern which is the National Enquirer, which is the Wall Street Journal. It's the same way when it comes to God's Word. God's true Word has a, a mark of authenticity, of authority. It gets to the heart of the matter. It reflects the true nature of God and uh, His love and all of that. And so we have this shortage of wine. And even though Jesus is saying, this is not what I'm to be mainly about, it's secondary. Oh, and by the way, the term woman is the same term he uses from the cross when he says, woman, your son, and to Mary, and John, remember John? And, and he goes to John the Apostle, John, your mother. So it's, and, and it's also the same term that Jesus used when he spoke to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, remember that? So again, it's a term, it's a polite term, but it's also a term of somewhat distance, but it's not a rude. So it isn't like Jesus saying, woman, what does that have to do with us? You know, no, <laughs> he, he didn't say it that way. Yes, he is trying to distance himself from his mother in the sense that he's no longer Mary's son. He's now going into the role of the Son of God, the Messiah. And so there is going to be a difference in relationship now because now his focus is on accomplishing his Father's will first and foremost over just the will of his mom. Uh, Mary's obviously starting to find that out because though we know that she didn't take offense at it because look, let's continue reading. Verse 5, His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, isn't this an awesome illustration? 
Whatever he says to you, do it. That's for all of us. Whatever God says to you, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. You want to have life's meaning or purpose? It's right there. Obedience, following. And so Mary is saying to the servants, okay, do whatever he says. Verse 6. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. What's the Jewish custom of purification? You wash your hands before you eat. Which actually has some great physical benefits, doesn't it? That uh, the world didn't really figure out until the 1800s. And yet the Jews were doing it 2,000 years ago. Now why stone? Stone was considered less porous and actually more solid than earthenware pottery. It actually is more septic, you know, in terms of bacteria. Uh, and so they were out of stone, hewn out of stone. And, but these were big water pots, 20 to 30 gallons each. That's a lot. In fact, I have down there, it could make 20 to 30 gallons, could do about 2,004 ounce glasses of wine. So, He's going to be turning a lot of water, he's going to turn a lot of water into wine, okay? In just a minute. Jesus said, "Fill the water pots with water." So they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, "Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter." So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the head water, uh, the head water, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, because by that time they're kind of inebriated or they're not, you know, totally set. So you get away with the poorer wine. Every man serves the good wine first, right? And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But now you've kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And what was the response? His disciples believed in him. Now, what's the significance of this seemingly kind of small miracle? Although it's a big miracle when it comes to the wine. I mean, I remember driving, you know, I was, I had some communion wine, you know, a jar of the communion wine I just was taking home. I was thirsty. I was going too fast. The police officer pulled me over. He said, he looked, he's an open bottle of wine from, said, yeah. but then I just looked at heaven and I said, oh man, he did it again. You know, it's, it's the water to wine, right? And I was just teasing. You know, I don't know if you heard that joke, but yeah, so, uh, no, I don't drink and I did not uh, a wine. All right. But anyway, yeah, I know there is. That's where I got it from. But anyway, um, so, why is this so significant? It really is. As the first miracle of Jesus, number of things. A, it's at a wedding. It affirms the sanctity of marriage. It affirms the foundation for all society. It affirms that God established marriage and God has created us to be in relationships. Because the purpose of a marriage is not just for husband and wife. The purpose ultimately of marriage, in most cases, is to raise children up in the knowledge and wisdom and fear of the Lord. And if you have strong marriages and you have strong families, you're going to have a strong society. 90% of our dysfunction in our society is the result of families breaking apart. So Jesus is affirming marriage. He's also affirming joy. 
Because what is one of the most joyous times in a person's life, in a family's life, is when two families come together and there's that wonderful celebration of the love that a man and a woman have with each other and when it's in the context of the church, their love for God, for the Lord. And then wine. Wine is really a symbol of joy. There's nothing wrong with wine. I give you a couple verses where there's nothing wrong with the consumption of wine. What's wrong is drunkenness. That's what's bad, is when people abuse the wine. And in the ancient world, in fact, oftentimes what they did was they would dilute the wine up to three parts water so that they could drink it without having to worry about getting drunk. This would be everyday life. And also it was a way to help purify the water because they did not have water purification during that time. And so it would help in terms of just not getting sick that way. Also, what the miracle shows is two things. When Jesus said to his mom, you know, this isn't my primary purpose. Jesus' primary purpose is not to simply make things better in the physical. Jesus' primary purpose is not simply to heal us physically. The miracles are not end ends in of themselves. They point us to greater spiritual realities that life is more than the physical. And that is the message that Jesus seeks to convey over and over again. And yet, because He's a loving and merciful God, He wants to meet our physical needs. Hence, the wine is provided for the people. It also, I believe, highlights the New Covenant, saving the best until last. At that time, Israel was spiritually barren. At that time, things were not going very well spiritually. And certainly in terms of God's salvation history, it culminates in Jesus, in the new covenant, in the new wine that he is going to celebrate at the great Eucharistic, which means great thanksgiving, feast and celebration of his body and blood. So I believe that first miracle also has spiritual significance as it pertains to the new covenant and the celebration of the Passover. Jesus as the Lamb of God, since wine is a key component of that, representing his blood. So that is how I would articulate the significance of Jesus' first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. What's also interesting is that, notice it's not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It wouldn't have been a commonly known miracle because it was only done in the presence of Jesus' first disciples and his mom. And most of the people didn't even know. Only the servants knew what he did. The head guy didn't even know. The groomsmen didn't even know. It was a subtle miracle. God sometimes is subtle that way. We just have to be aware and seek after it. Now, I want to close with the last verse here, the transition verse. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Okay, Jesus had brothers. There are three explanations to this. I want you to really quickly look. We're going to do a little... Um, a little hunt for clues. And let's let's quickly turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. So did Jesus have brothers or not? And who were they? In the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholics teach that 
Jesus' brothers were his cousins. The problem with that is there's a Greek word for cousins that could have been used and wasn't. So if they were really his cousins, it would have. They say, well, if that's not the case, then what they were were the stepchildren of Mary. They were the children of Joseph from a previous marriage, which could possibly be. But I want us now to look at what the scriptures say here. Chapter 1 of Matthew, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. That would suggest that she was not a perpetual virgin for her entire life. Think of poor Joseph too. That's a huge sacrifice for him. And yet the Roman Catholics teach that she was a perpetual virgin. And yet it would indicate not necessarily so. Okay, next, go to Mark. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Verse 3. Okay, so uh, Jesus is uh, in his hometown, and the folks aren't too impressed. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Jesus has at least four brothers who are named, and he has sisters that are identified. Okay, now I want us to go to uh, John chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. Keep going all the way back to John chapter 7. One of the uh, reasons that some will say that Jesus' brothers and sisters were actually step-siblings from Joseph is because when he was on the cross, he entrusted the care of his mother to John rather than today, to them. The problem is, first of all, them being step sons and daughters, they're not even biologically related to Mary. John, the apostle, being Mary's nephew, being the son of Mary's sister, would be biologically related to John. So uh, that doesn't really hold water. On top of that, it appears from the witness of Scripture that Jesus' brothers and we have no mention of his sisters, whether or not they were believers or not, but at least his brothers didn't really trust him until after the crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, it was James, his brother, who wrote the book of James and was a leader in the early church. But initially, they didn't really believe it. And you could understand why. They, they grew up with him. Let's look at what John says here in John chapter 7. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, here's the key. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So at that point, 
This is in John 7. We just looked at John 1 and John 2. In John 1 and 2, he already has disciples who are believing in him. John the Baptist who believes in him. But his brothers still are not believing in him, which would suggest why he may not have entrusted Mary to their care, because when he was on the cross, they may have forsook and fled him as well, or were not really following, you see? So from my perspective, I don't believe Mary was a perpetual virgin. I believe the word. I believe he actually had physical brothers. I believe that or ha- they would be half brothers, right? Because it would be Mary and Joseph, and, and Joseph is Jesus' father in name, you know, in le- legal but not biologically. So uh, that ends our study for tonight. Any questions concerning? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Yeah. Yes. First chapter. Right. 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 That's a great question. Yeah, it's not obviously one that's a new one. The question is, John the Baptist recognizes Jesus for who he is at the beginning of John's Gospel, and yet in Matthew's Gospel, we have John saying, are you the Messiah or shall we expect someone else? What that highlights is that John was starting to have his doubts because he was in prison. He had been arrested. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. And so even though God had revealed that to John, he wasn't quite sure until Jesus then sent messengers back to him and said, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them, right? So in other words, what Jesus was saying to John was, don't worry, I am he, like you had recognized. And if you have your doubts, reflect on what is actually being done. This is so significant because all of us are going to go through the same thing. All of us might have mountaintop experiences. We are going to have supernatural revelations of God in your life. But you know that life is still a journey of surprises. You know there are going to be times where you feel overwhelmed. You know there are going to be times where you may doubt more than you did before. And how do we get through those times? We have to remember what God has already done in the past. We need to get equipped with what He has promised about our future, and we need to keep persevering. And as we do that, God will send signs to get us back on track, to encourage us as we seek Him. And that's exactly what happened with John the Baptist. Yeah, you know. Yes, 706. Whoa, you're going backwards. All right. Ooh, what did he find here in Isaiah? Yes. Yes. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet, right? Yeah, that's for the wine. Yeah, that's right. For all peoples on the mountain. 
A banquet of aged wine, right? Choice pieces of marrow I, uh, uh, and refined aged wines, right? That's why I included that verse in the notes. Yeah, yeah, it's in the notes. Yeah, good man though. See, the Holy Spirit's working, Gino. Keep making your wine. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, 26, yeah, right. No, okay, any other questions or comments? Yes. Yes, yes. yes. The first, yeah, miracle. It's hard. I think we've got to be careful is not read too much into it. Okay. The important thing is that what Jesus is doing is he's, he's making a distinction now. He's starting to move now towards his real reason for being here. It's not just to be Mary's son. It's not just to grow up into a family. That's very important. But now he's on his mission. And so when he says to his mother, what does that have to do with us? That's good in terms of the us part. In other, what's, what's that? Yes, but it is out of compassion, but it's also to make a point. Uh, it's, it's to make a point. It's like a both hand. It's like, I'm here to meet people's needs. I'm here to address these smaller problems, but don't, don't get too focused on that. There's a much bigger plan. There's a much bigger purpose to why I'm here, and that reminds all of us that there's a much bigger plan and there's a much bigger purpose to everything that goes on in our world. It's kind of like we can, and sometimes it's convenient to do that, kind of break away from everyone. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes, right, to get on an island, right, just be free from it all? And there's, there's something to be said for that. That's why you have retreats. That's why you have respites. That's why you have vacations. But... That's not really the way God's designed it because if God designed it that way, could you imagine if all of us went into our own little cabins and just kind of kept to ourselves? Nothing would get accomplished. And so there's always a greater greater thing going on. you got history, but then you got God's plan. Any other questions or comments? All right, well, let's pray. Lord God, we thank You and praise You for this time of the Word. We thank You for those who have been able to come. Pray Your blessing upon everyone here and help us to uh, uh, daily get into Your Word and to daily seek You and and that Your purposes might become our purpose and, and Your will our will. We thank You and we ask it in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. For more information about the church, including a list of our service times, please visit our website at www.stbartston.org. Again, that's www.stbartston.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Both will help in reaching more people with this podcast. If you're on Facebook, head over to facebook.com slash transforming lives together podcast. Again, that's facebook.com slash transforming lives together podcast and give us a like. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with life's meaning and purpose, an in-depth study of the gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses 
from Peter's first letter. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. God bless you.